You know, um, we, we've been talking through uh, the sermon series called A Weary World Rejoices. And it's felt very appropriate during this time of the year, uh, especially with a lot of things that have happened this year. Uh, the first, first part of our series, in the first sermon, we, we talked about what causes weariness. We came to this conclusion that sin causes weariness, Right? If you ever find yourself in a, in a season where you're particularly not being obedient to Christ, while the temptation, in its temptation, uh, tries to sparkle you and tries to like earn over your favor and promise you all these good things that twinkle in your eye, the reality is that in sin we're just left with just feeling empty, right? Um, and so we, we kind of unpackage that and... and we, we said, Jesus, you're our only hope in sin. And then the other part of that was the thing of called error pining, which is a, this longing, but it's a longing for something that can't really satisfy. And we put our hope in circumstances. We put our hope maybe in that this Christmas is going to be the Christmas where, you know, it's going to undo all of this year's junk, and we're going to feel all the good feels. You know, if we're putting all our hope in that, then we're going to feel really unsatisfied. It's really error pining. We're longing for something that can't really give us hope. And then Marianne last week did such a great job and helped us understand of the weariness of lamenting. And lamenting is actually a gift from God. It's a Christian practice that it's not wrong to see the world and go, oh my gosh, God, my heart is grieving for what is happening. My, my soul is in distress. But as Christians, we know that we can lament, but then at the end of lamenting, lamenting is meant to draw us into rejoicing because there's an answer for our lament. There's an answer in the sorrow that we feel, and that's Christ. And so we don't just stay in our lamenting, but in a weary world that has no hope in Jesus, it just laments, and it just feels downtrodden and without hope. But we know that our hope is in Jesus. And I think that's why we're here this morning, because we're celebrating the fact that Jesus still remains true. He still is the same. He's the same yesterday. He'll be the, he's the same today. And tomorrow, he will have not changed. He'll be the same. And our lamenting that we feel, this angst and this sorrow that we see in the world around us, if we're looking at social media, we just go, oh my gosh, God, turn it off, right? We put our hope in Christ, and our lamenting is turned to rejoicing. And I think we're going we're gonna to end today with this last little phrase, um, and this is the phrase, if you guys can, I think you're able to put it up on the screen, it's the last stanza in the song, and it says this, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. And today I want to talk about the weariness of oppression, the weariness of oppression. Now, when I use this word oppression, Right now, some things come to our minds, right? Especially in a, in a social media kind of culture that we've been in for the past, I don't know, how long has Facebook been around and been a thing? 10 years? 20? Wow, I'm old, okay. So, but it just seems exponentially more that our culture is dictated by what's on social media. You, you want to know how people feel. You want to know what people think. You want to know how the world is understood. Look at social media. And if we take this word oppression, some of us might say, yes, I, I, I see oppression. We've seen it this year. We've seen 
uh, racism, it seems, been so heightened and come to the top. And everyone's like, that's oppression. Or maybe it's financial uh, and you're seeing socioeconomic um, separation and some people are trying to lift themselves up and put others down and say, yes, there are people who are oppressed financially, or maybe it's sexually, or maybe it's the sla- literally slave trade. And, you know, we still have slaves in the world today. And so we all can understand this word oppression differently. And what I don't want us to do this morning is to take the word oppression subjectively, how our circumstances or how we understand the world and our worldview to understand what oppression would be. I would say that no matter where you fall on the spectrum, if you're feeling like, yes, we need to rise against social injustice and oppression of of those who are downtrodden and those who are power and they, they push it down on the weak, yes, those are good things. But something that you, myself, all of us objectively can understand oppression is this, the sin and Satan. See, The oppression of sin and Satan doesn't respect people. It doesn't be like, okay, well, Tom seems like a good guy, and he seems like he's suffered enough, so the devil's just going to kind of give him, you know, Tom's like, that's it, I'm drawing a line in the sand, and Satan's like, oh, my bad, I'm sorry, no problem, Tom, I see you drew a line in the sand, I will go to this point and no further. The enemy doesn't do that. The enemy doesn't wait and say, man, I beat up on John enough. I beat up on Betsy enough. It looks like she's really had it, so I need to have a little mercy. It's Christmas time, right? Come on, even Satan is like, it's Christmas time. No, the devil doesn't care. The devil does not care. He will bully you, and when you think that you've been pushed down, and when you think that you can't take any more, he's like, great, awesome. Let me see where else I can push and prod and punch and kick. He doesn't play fair. And sin is the same way. The oppression of sin, we cannot loose those chains on our own. As as Lonnie was saying this morning, she's telling our kids, I love that we're doing this. And no matter how small, no matter how big, this little group of kids will get. I love that we're doing that. Did you notice that she's preaching the gospel to these kids? She just shared the gospel with them. And these kids are going to remember maybe like five words of these things, right? But they're going to remember coming, sitting over here, and somebody told me that sin is my enemy, that Satan is my enemy, and my only hope is who? It's Jesus. And she's telling me this morning, I remember sitting here as a 10-year-old, that I'm a sinner and my only hope is Jesus. And she told me that I need to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then that will rescue me from sin. And by the way, she told me as well that it's finished now. There's nothing that I can do to make that complete, because when Jesus was on the cross, he says it is finished and it's been done and paid for. I love that we're preaching the gospel to our kids. I love that we're preaching the gospel to us here this morning. So no matter how you understand oppression, I, I, I would even say sometimes we use this word oppression overly, it's overly used. Sometimes we, we use the oppression like, man, I've been really op- oppressed this week. Well, what happened? Well, I drove through McDonald's and they didn't give me my cheeseburger. I feel oppressed. It's like, you don't have any idea what oppression is. And I understand that we can flippantly 
use this word. But in a weary world that understands really the oppression that we're feeling, and it's, I would suggest, friends, it's because of sin and of Satan. Now, we can try our best to overcome the oppression. What are we supposed to do if we're oppressed? Well, obviously Lonnie has let us know, and we're going to get to that, and I think we all know that. But the reality is we don't always live in that preaching the gospel to our hearts, right? We feel oppression, we see oppression, and what do we do? We react certain ways depending on how we've grown up, depending on who we think we are, or how strong or how feeble or whatever. We all react subjectively. subjectively. Some of us here might say, you know what? I feel oppressed or I see oppression, and I'm just going to live in spite. You guys know what I mean by that? You know, the enemy's trying to get me. Satan's trying to get me. Sin has brought me down, but I'm not going to have it. I'm going to live out of my own strength, and I'm going to show everybody else that I'm not oppressed. I'm going to show the world around me. You cannot bring me down. I am strong. I'm my own captain of my soul. Nothing you do or nothing you say can stand against me. I'll show you how tough I am. And then you try to outlive your freedom out of your flesh, right? Remember, we said a couple of weeks ago, in this weary world rejoices, sin causes weariness, and some of us find ourselves in this holiday season just kind of living without kind of any restraint because we feel like, man, I've earned it this year. I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl all year, and so I, I've earned it. And so we might find ourselves feeling oppressed. This year has felt oppressive. (laughs) And so I've earned the right to be able to react. I've earned the right to be able to live in spite this year. Some of us might feel that way. But the other, uh, some of us might here might, might feel a little bit differently. You might feel like, well, I'm not the kind of person that's front footed. It's either fight or flight. Maybe you're a little flight and you're like, man, this oppression's really got me down. This oppression has really let me know there's like anxiety that's rising up in my heart. I, I see it all around me. I, I have fear. I have this, this, this angst living inside me. And, and so I just feel like, man, what's the next bad thing that's going to happen? Anybody ever say that this year? Something bad happens and some, what do you say? 2020. It's 2020. There was just another fire, I think, right, like a couple weeks ago. And I was like, well, that's just about par for the course. Because we feel this oppression this year, and either we're like bravado, and we try to puff out our chest and bow up and show everybody, or we live kind of under the oppression, or maybe you've become bitter. Maybe, yeah, maybe you've become bitter or mean and cantankerous, and you view the world That's terrible and sad and nothing good in it because the oppression of this world has gotten in your heart and has infected you like poison and cancer and it's just starting to spread and now everything that you see is with sad, depressing, mad, upset eyes. Everything you feel is filtered. You guys pay attention over here. Everything you say is filtered. Through this like understanding of like, man, the world is just going to hell in a handbasket. What are we to do? What are we to do? 
in this time of oppression? What are we supposed to do with all of these things of reality that we're feeling during this time? Are we just meant to stay weary? Are we just meant to like hang our heads down? What are our options? I'm so glad that you guys asked that question this morning. Because in this hymn, it says some beautiful truths. And scripture, as we unpackage that this morning, is going to point us to how Lonnie did so wonderfully about how Jesus is our hope. And the, the first line in this, he says, chains shall he break. Um, give me, okay, don't anybody judge me. I made this at like 6 o'clock this morning. Um, this, this is a paper chain, and it's a giant paper chain. Often a lot of people, I don't know, does anybody put these on their tree or decorate their house with these things? Sometimes you do. Okay, one whole person. All right, so Steve will get the example this morning. Um, but these things, often when we, we say, okay, this is a season of Advent, Advent is a time where we celebrate the arrival of Christ and what we're meant to do is understand this longing that people had and longing people needed because they needed a Messiah. They needed a Savior to set them free. And these paper chains actually are a way to celebrate Advent. And what you're supposed to do, is, as I look this up, is you're supposed to create these chains during the season of Advent. And for every day of Advent, you're supposed to rip one off and you get closer to the end of Advent, representing that Jesus has arrived. You didn't know that, so you just learned something this morning. But if we take this hymn and we understand where it says, a chain shall he break, and we understand the picture of Advent, and we understand that if, Kelly, if you're right, then what we do is we tear one of these chains. So I'm just going to do here for illustration, but what's the first chain that we could, we could tear this morning? For some of us, it might say, okay, I'm going to tear the chain of fear and anxiety. Right? I'm going to drop that off. Some of us here this morning will say, I'm going to tear the chain of anger and frustration. Throw that chain down. Some of us here this morning might say, I'm going to throw down the chain of spiteful living and sin and just showing the world how free I am and proving it to myself. I don't know, whatever your chain is this morning. Obviously, we need... Jesus to come and break the chains of oppression. And see, the beautiful thing about Advent season is we no longer have to wait for every day to break a chain or wait for some superhero to come and set us free from the oppression of sin and Satan. You and I, if we put our hope in Christ, are living right now in this very moment without any of this hanging over our heads. We have been set free from this. And yes, this is an illustration to help us see that, but the reality is, if I put my hope in Christ, none of that is, no longer is, is upon me. The chains shall he break. Speaking of the Messiah, and, and let's look at it here. Well, let's go back to Luke chapter 4. If you guys remember, we, we talked about this um, Jesus speaking about his identity. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says this. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, his hometown, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, 
And he stood up to read. He takes the scroll of Isaiah. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Here it is, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, we could, get, we could look at this and go, oh, how neat and how nice, and like, thank you, Kelly, for helping me understand that. But the truth is, if we go to like, these paper chains and we don't actually go directly to Jesus, then we've lost the whole plot of what Christmas is for. You ever see these little signs on a bumper sticker or something that says, Jesus is the reason for the season? You, you guys know what I'm talking about. You've seen those. Because what our society is trying to turn Christmas into Santa Claus into marshmallows, into candy, and all those things are nice. That's not the reason. But I would like us to understand that Jesus is not just the reason for the season. It's why Jesus? Why Jesus? Why did Jesus have to come? Why did Jesus come in the form of a baby? Why did Jesus come as God with us, Emmanuel, fully man, fully God? Why? Because he knew we, we needed a cross to be born. We needed him to go to the cross, and he had to be born for our salvation. Not just so he could live, not just so he could just come and appear, not just so that he could be worshipped in a manger with you know, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, and everybody dressed in their finest clothes and being like, wow, this is amazing. Not just, just so the angels could sing, not just so that shepherds could hear about the good news. He came because he had to die a death for you and me. And so we say, Jesus, thank you that chains were broken. The chains of oppression that Satan and sin have put on me. This is how it works. We were under the bondage of slavery to sin and the bullying of the enemy. Jesus, in his love and mercy for us, he came down, he set us free. Jesus set us free by living a perfect life and dying for our sins, completely obliterating the power of sin. You guys, your chains are broken. Your chains are obliterated. Your chains have been smashed to thousands and thousands of little tiny pieces that will never, ever be put back together again. That's good news. You know how you know if you don't know? <laughs> you know how you know if you have forgotten this truth? If you find yourself fearful or anxious. You know how you know if you don't know? You found yourself frustrated. You know how you know if you don't know? You found yourself oppressed. If you were in a prison for something you did, and somebody came in and said, hey, by the way, we just watched Elf the other day, and I can't remember why he gets arrested. Anyways, there's a point in the story where Will Ferrell plays Elf, 
He gets arrested, he's in jail, and his, his dad, who doesn't really know him that well, bails him out of jail. And he gets set free, sitting there in his elf costume with all these prisoners or during push-ups and all these kind of things, looking at him weird. And he comes, the dad comes, opens up the, the jail cell, the prisoner guard says, hey, your bail's been posted, you've been set free. Now, if he chooses to sit there, goes, no, I haven't. No, I haven't, I haven't been set free. No, I haven't. I, prove it to me. And then the, the bail officer comes up and says, listen, your dad signed for it right here. Here's the actual money he paid for you to get out. No, I don't believe it. No, I don't. See, we do the same thing when we sit here and go, chain shall he break. Right? We sing it, and then we go out in the world and we feel anxious. We go out in the world and we feel like worms because we've sinned, and we don't understand that we've been set free from that sin. And we go out and we feel frustrated or angry because we feel the oppression of the world. And what we're saying is, Jesus, I understand that you did this, but I don't really understand it because I'm not living in it. And that's how we know if you don't know, you don't know. My encouragement to us today, friends, is live in the freedom of the chains that have been broken over you. Because when the enemy comes and goes, hey, uh, I just want to remind you of this chain, and I think you should put it back on because I saw what you did. And you go, oh, you're right. Just shackle me back up. I deserve it. No, you say, shut up, enemy. Get behind me, Satan. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean we just do whatever we want and we go, oh, I'm free? No, because that blood cost. It cost Jesus his life. And we, as Christians, live out of gratitude now. And we say, Lord, please help me live a life that is honoring and pleasing to you. I'm not talking cheap grace here this morning. But when you are tempted to put your chains back on, don't. Do it. Your anxiety, it's done. Your frustrations, your guilt of oppression, it's done. It's been paid for. It's been obliterated. Jesus is not asking you to put the chains back on. The other line of this, it says, for the slave is our brother. Now, I understand that in this hymn, it's talking about literal brothers or brothers in Christ, and our relationship to one another. And it's talking about slave. And, and I know that during, when this hymn was written, there were a lot of churches back in the day that wouldn't want to sing it because they felt like it was just a social justice song. Now, I love this truth that we're not meant to look at each other and go, well, I've been set free because uh, my sins weren't as bad as Autumn's, and Autumn uh, is a slave to sin, and so we need to look down on Autumn because she's done worse things than Kelly. That's the hymn saying, no, hey, the slave is our brother. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we were all slaves at once, and we, none to, we need to understand, and we need to encourage one another, and we need to say, man, you've been set free. Remind me, I've been set free, and let's not judge one another. But I think, friends, there's even a more beautiful, deeper truth and I'm going to take a different spin on it this morning. So this isn't scripture. It's just a hymn. So don't get your knickers in a knot, okay, this morning. So I want to talk about the truth. I want to just point us back to Jesus. Yes, the slave is our brother. Yes, the person who says shoulder to shoulder, we've all been in this and we just all stand together. And that's why we sing on Sunday mornings and go, Jesus, thank you for setting me free. But the reality is that if we're pointing everything to Jesus, we have to understand that Jesus also is our brother who was a slave. What does that mean? 
What does it mean that Jesus could be, he should be the slave who is our brother? Doesn't that feel a little blasphemous to call Jesus a slave and our brother? Well, here's what scripture helps us understand. I'm going to run through these really quick. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John here is helping us understand that Jesus, fully God, became fully man. And in his fully manness, becomes our older brother. Okay, Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now we could keep going on and on and talking about the human identity of Jesus. We, we don't, as Christians, we need to understand he's fully God and fully man. And we could go on, there's so many scriptures that help us understand that. But I want us to grasp that this morning. That in the hymn it says, the slave is our brother. If we're understanding that Jesus is our older brother, then that's something of understanding that Jesus understands exactly what you're going through right now. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Jesus, the book of Hebrews, tells us that he has been tempted with every single temptation that you and I have ever been tempted with, yet he didn't sin. He remained perfect for us. The spotless lamb that was slain. And so lest we're tempted to say, okay, I love all this, you know, the feels of Christmas, and I love the word Emmanuel, God with us, but we remove the potency of Emmanuel, God with us, and we just re- reduce it to this little Christmas story only for maybe a month of our lives in a year, then we've really lost the point of the slave as our brother. See, Jesus comes not just as our older brother, but he also comes as our older brother, the slave. He subjects himself to all the things that you and I will ever and have ever gone through. You might be here this morning and say, nobody knows how I feel. I feel very alone. Nobody knows the sorrow. You can almost go into that song. Nobody knows. But the beautiful thing is, that's not true. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus knows the oppression that all of us have experienced. And he subjected himself to that. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves me. Because he loves us. Because he chose not to be a savior who was just far off and distant. When we say Emmanuel, God with us, that just doesn't mean proximity. That doesn't just mean physicalness. That means he's sharing with our sufferings. That means he's sharing with everything that you and I wrestle with. Thank God that Jesus was the slave who was our brother. Philippians 2, 5-7 through says this about him becoming a slave. It says, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who 
though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. How does that help with my oppression? See, Jesus is not only man and understanding, but he's fully God and able to overcome it. And I want us to end with this. Turn to to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. If I can find it here. And we're going to look at verses 9 through 18. It says this. It's kind of a little chunky portion of Scripture here. So bear with me. Whoever the writer of Hebrews is has such a high understanding of Jesus and a right understanding of Jesus. The writer says this, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. That's speaking about Jesus becoming fully man. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that By the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you, uh, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I am the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What is this talking about? There's a lot of stuff in here where we could preach a whole sermon on it. But it's basically talking about the essence of who Jesus is, our older brother. He becomes like us, it says here. And, and then in his suffering. In him laying down his life, he does what? He overcomes the chains that you and I here this morning feel oppressed by or experience oppression by. See, Jesus comes, fully God, lowering himself, become fully man, never letting go of his divinity, and overcoming sin and death by his way to the cross. It says his suffering. And if we this morning are not understanding that we have an older brother, let me put it to you like this. If we're all on the playground, 
the world's the playground. And you ever go to, a, maybe you have a sibling and you, you know, your, your sibling is older than you and maybe you might see that sibling, sibling at lunch at school, right? You're like, oh, there's my older brother. Check it out. There he is. There's my older sister. And you tell your friends and, and your older brother's like, eh, whatever, get away from me, kid. Doesn't want to be seen by you, right? You know that whole sibling exchange. But what happens when the younger brother or sister starts getting picked on at the playground and the older brother or sister's there? They step up. They step up. They say, get your hands off my brother. That's my brother. That's my sister. And see, you and I are on the playground of the world where the enemy, the bully, Satan and sin, try to come and oppress us and say, I'm going to give you a wedgie today. And we're like, ugh. No, you're scared to go to school today. Your parents are asking, hey, what's the matter? And you're like, nothing, because you don't want to talk about it. And you go and you eat your lunch looking around and hoping that the bully won't notice you. And God forbid he does, and now you're in big trouble. And you don't want to say anything. You don't want to stir the pot. You're afraid. This has been happening all the time, all the time. And then all of a sudden, your older brother, your older sister gets wind of it and says, if you touch my brother, my sister you're going to get a knuckle sandwich. It's all right, knuckle sandwich. A noogie. I don't know. What do you kids say? You're going to regret it. And Jesus comes, and he stands on the playground, and he takes the black eye for us on our behalf, and he says, don't mess with my younger brother, my younger sister, because he's the older brother. And he takes the suffering for us, and then the bully what? Doesn't ever mess with us again. He might every once in a while like give us the look, but now all of a sudden we know my older brother goes to this school. And if you touch me, you're going to mess with him. Right? So then why in the heck are we walking around fearful? Why are we walking around ashamed? Why are we walking around like our older brother doesn't own the school? Because he does. And if you right now, friends, are in a season where the oppression, the weariness of oppression has just beaten you down, has bombarded you this week, has been getting you all this year, has been telling you lies, has been picking on you, has been bullying you, say, if you do this, you better watch out, I'm going to take your lunch money. We're acting and we're living as somehow we don't have an older brother who sticks up for us. It's so much better than an older, imperfect brother who picks on us at home. Who might be all nice in front of everybody else, but in, you know, he's like, get away from me, little twerp. See, Jesus doesn't do that. He's the perfect older brother. He took the black eyes for us. He took all the suffering for us. Why? So that our chains will be broken of oppression. All right, will you stand with me this morning?